How can this local media outlet help you fulfill your civic duty? Let's learn together. Welcome. I'm Samantha Deliberti, founder of the social impact hub, Orange You Going, and this is Progress Through Purpose. Progress Through Purpose helps you discover issues you're passionate about, like the environment, social equality, affordable housing, and more, and makes it easy for you to affect change while connecting with like-minded New Yorkers in person. Learn from experts working on the vital issues impacting the largest city in the U.S. and hear the solutions they propose. Then meet us in person. Join the Og Squad, a community of changemakers who meet to affect change together. Build new friendships, expand your network, and advance your career through civic engagement, all while uplifting our city. Learn more about the movement at orangeyougoing.com. Hey, Og Squad. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're talking with a pretty unique nonprofit. It's a nonprofit media outlet called The City, which offers award-winning journalism on important New York City issues. The City's publisher, Nick Dawes, is here to talk with us today about why nonprofit media is so important. Before joining The City, Nick previously served as a deputy executive director at Human Rights Watch. He was also editor-in-chief for India's second-largest English-language newspaper, Hindustan Times, as well as editor-in-chief for the Johannesburg-based Mail and Guardian, one of the leading independent newspapers in Africa. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to be here. So can you tell us about the city? How and why was it formed in New York City, which is the media capital of the world? And why did you choose the nonprofit model? The city was formed because New York City, although it is the media capital of the world, has shockingly little coverage of New York. And a group of journalism leaders, civic leaders, and philanthropic leaders were looking around at how much coverage they could find of what was going on in the city of eight and a half million people with a budget of $100 billion. And they saw that traditional newspapers had dramatically cut their New York City staff, that new digital startups that had tried to offer an alternative had closed down, and that it was a real struggle to get a traditional commercial model off the ground to give New Yorkers the kind of journalism that they need, the kind of news that they need to hold their leaders accountable, but also to navigate their daily lives in the city. And uh, so we created the city along not-for-profit lines because in this complicated time of figuring out what the future of the media is going to look like and figuring out how we can make it sustainable, philanthropy offers a bridge to the future. And so the city was set up to plug some of those really urgent gaps and to do it with a not-for-profit funding model that would enable us to spin the organization up, grow it and sustain it at a time when relying on advertising or even subscription, which is tough for local media, wasn't at all certain. So I think this is a good time to kind of dive in a little bit more of what the difference is between a privately owned media company like, you know, a Fox or a CNN or what have you. You'll certainly know more than I do. But what is the difference between those two models? And then how does that impact the readers? There are differences on a number of levels, on a legal and structural level, on a financial level, and then finally, of course, and importantly, on a content level. But they all come together around the fact that we were created around a mission and not-for-profit journalism organizations in general are created around a mission and their North Star is their mission, which is providing the kind of coverage that can enhance accountability and create a healthier civic discourse, a richer public sphere, really build democracy. 
So that's the goal that we always navigate towards. Commercially, what that means is that we do not rely on advertising revenue or subscription revenue. We rely on donations, small and large, whether from foundations or wealthier individuals or small gifts of a few bucks from readers who appreciate what we do. But we keep our coverage free for everyone to read. One of the great inequities in New York City, as in many other places, is inequity of access to information. And we're trying to make sure that almost like a news utility, we make information available to everyone. Running into that paywall is always incredibly frustrating when you're like, this is an important article, I want to read it, but you know, I'm not an annual subscriber or whatever it is. So I think a lot of people can certainly appreciate that. It's just having free access to all of the important work that you're doing. It's a hugely important part of what we do. And, you know, paywalls can be a good model for traditional news organizations, commercial news organizations. But there's a lot of research that shows most Americans will have an, a maximum of one new subscription. And even that is in the minority. So if we think people need to be well-informed to participate effectively in democracy, make sense of the world around them, we do need to have some free models. And we ask people who fund us to help us make our work available to everybody as a public good. One thing you also brought up is this idea of supporting democracy. And obviously, you know, freedom of the press is a pillar of our entire nation because that's how we get information about what's happening, you know, behind closed doors often. But I'm interested in how you see not only your media outlet, but really just media in general, how it supports democracy. And what is your take on kind of the state of media today and like how we've seen a lot of information about fake news, all of this swirling around on social media? How does that impact your team's work day to day? The first thing I'll say is that we are a nonpartisan, independent news outlet. We don't do opinion. We don't endorse candidates. We go out and find facts and report on them. And really core to what we do is try to create a common shared set of facts that citizens can agree upon and that they can have trust in. That's in some ways, I think, at the heart of the democratic challenges that we face right now media that are part of the distortion of reality, part of the extreme polarization that we see going on all over the country. And at a local level, what we have the opportunity to do is show people that what we're producing down the block, across the street, in City Hall is recognizable to them and to build trust around that, to have conversations with our readers and our audiences, to center our journalism on them. And when we're able to do that, we're able to build deeper trust in the fact-finding that we do, even if it's sometimes uncomfortable or comes to conclusions that people may not have previously considered, we can secure a more trusting response in what we've done. And I think in a national landscape where little local news stories get picked up and amplified for partisan purposes, doing that locally and serving our communities helps us to address some of that toxicity that we see both in the media environment and the political environment nationally. Yeah. So you touched on kind of like if your journalists uncover something that may be uncomfortable, we hear these kind of, especially for TV media, right? Like this idea of ratings and how it has to be sensationalized to get viewers. And I don't know anything about that model and how that works. But what I do know is that ratings and sensationalism equal more dollars, right? Which funds that model. So what you're saying is because of your, and correct me if I'm wrong, but because of your model, you're able to have that that independence of journalism, it sounds like, where you're not having to worry about if you're going to offend like 
a potential advertiser, for example. That's right. Because our mission is our North Star, because we want to provide a service to New Yorkers and we want to foster a healthier civic environment, we can steer by that North Star. And whether we are finding out something small and local, for example, we did a story about how there was no suicide hotline on the Triborough Bridge. A couple of days later, a new one was installed. That sounds like a small thing, right? But it's meaningful impact. And it could be life-saving. Uh, That's could be life-saving. amazing. Wow. Exactly. So, But we may also do you know, something more high-profile. We did an investigation into uh, Brian Benjamin, who became the lieutenant governor, when he was just an unknown candidate for a city controller and found serious irregularities in his fundraising. No one else would have paid attention to him at that time. But because we were a local outlet and we care about what's going on at street level, we tracked down those donors, figured out that they clearly didn't even know who he was and had been fraudulently added to the list. Subsequently, there was an FBI indictment of Brian Benjamin, and he ended up being forced to uh, resign as the lieutenant governor of New York. So that's a you know more hard-edged, more high-profile story, but it's about governance. It's about how public matching funds in elections are used, and it produced a very serious and high-profile outcome. And again, you know, I think people can trust more in our fact-finding in a case like that if they've seen other stories where they recognize their neighbors, recognize their neighborhood, and recognize the issues that they face. Yeah, you've talked a lot about this idea of local, and I am all about local, right? We've all heard the saying all politics is local. But what we find is that a lot of people, when a lot of voters in particular, uh, tend to focus on the national, the sensational. But in terms of what is impacting us day to day, it is what is impacting us in our backyard. So whether it's, you know, a stop sign that needs to be installed or something like you said, as high level as who's leading our state, we need people to pay attention to that. But we can only pay attention if we have the resources. So let's talk a little bit more. You know, you've touched on a couple of your coverage stories that stood out. But when you were putting this new outlet together and in your day to day moving forward, how is your coverage different from some of the other media outlets out there? Let me address that in two ways. Firstly, by building a little on the point about local and what has been lost. You know, most American cities and towns had at least one major local newspaper that served the whole community and that covered news that the whole community was interested in. People talk about how the internet and digital advertising models have eroded media. The place where that's happened worst is in local newspapers and the community press, which have downsized dramatically, been bought by hedge funds, and in many cases, just replaced by Facebook and Nextdoor and, and those kinds of things. And that happened in New York just as much as it happened in the rest of the country. So, for example, the New York Times drastically reduced its New York City coverage, cut its team pretty much in half. The Daily News, which was one of the leading tabloids in New York City, much, much, much smaller now than it used to be. And the New York Post has become in many ways a national digital outlet. So what we saw happening was that there was much less coverage of elected officials and city hall and people in power. And there was also a lot less coverage of what was going on in New York's neighborhoods, particularly those that are less high profile and less high income. So if you were looking for coverage of you know, the village or the Upper East Side, you might be able to find it. But if you were looking for coverage of the Bronx or Staten Island or East New York, there was very, very little available. So our coverage model and our newsroom was designed initially to fill some of those gaps. So we hired people who had great, deep experience covering city hall and city agencies. Our reporter who covers public housing has been covering it for 25 years and has investigated deeply 
the issues that afflict public housing in New York. Our reporter who covers Rikers Island and the criminal justice system literally wrote the book on Rikers, knows everyone in the corrections union, and knows all of the defense attorneys, has, is deeply sourced among the police, and is able to cover complex stories with deep background. And on the other hand, we have reporters in every borough covering Brooklyn, covering Staten Island, covering the Bronx and Manhattan, and finding those stories that may happen at a neighborhood level, but that are relevant to the whole city. You know, you pick something up in Queens that might matter to everyone in New York, the city is the place to find that story. Get the most of Orange U going, New York's social impact hub. When you join the Og Squad for free, you receive event notifications curated to your interests. Never miss a change-making event. Orange U going to be there? What is a day in the life of a journalist? <laughs> you know, how do they find that story? Like, how do they decide what to write on, what the news of the day is? I know Sometimes people send in tips, but I'm sure that getting to like the heart of some of those really impactful, you know, investigative stories is not necessarily just kind of handed to you. So I'm really interested in that. So one of the reasons people become journalists is because they want to have a life in which no day is the same. <laughs> and, uh, but I can give you a few different examples. So I talked a little bit about public housing and I mentioned uh, Greg Smith, our reporter who covers NYCHA, has been covering that system for many, many years. And so he talks to people, people talk to him. You mentioned tips. Recently, Greg got a call on a Friday afternoon from two different people who said, hey, there's been a test done of the water over at the Reese houses on the Lower East Side, and the test is positive for arsenic. The test was done two weeks ago, and none of the residents have been told. So oh, Wow. And then that, yeah, that was a month-long story. Exactly. You, you know what's so interesting is that you're offering a service where the average New Yorker can fulfill their sense of duty and commitment to civic engagement and democracy by sharing this information, by highlighting issues that they are seeing. Like you said, you know, it could be something like there's not a sign, suicide hotline sign, but also some of this insider information. And I think it just really highlights how important this idea of freedom of the press is and how important it is for us as residents to invest our dollars in supporting outlets like yours so that you have that independence and you're not, you know, responding to the kind of issue of the day or to the need of a particular advertiser. But that's just, that's really incredible. That's a very powerful way of putting it. And, you know, there are more people living in NYCHA housing than there are in some states that have two senators in DC. Wow. You know, nobody covers it. It's not going to win you advertising and it's certainly not going to win you affluent subscribers to focus on what's happening in that system affecting 600,000 people. So when Greg got those tips and he called up the mayor's office, even the mayor didn't know about the test. As you said, it kicked off a month-long cycle of investigations into water quality. So that first day, he might have been sitting waiting for the tip. The next day, he was sitting in a room of 300 angry residents of that housing system, listening to their voices, lifting them up and telling the story of what they were saying and experiencing, you know, and helping to ensure that there was some pressure to get the situation resolved. Now, he's not doing that by campaigning or advocating. He's simply doing it by raising up their voices and raising up the facts to where they can be seen. So you were previously at Human Rights Watch as uh, Deputy Executive Director. Do you see any crossover or, I guess, relationship between your work there and your work here at the city? 
There is in the sense that Human Rights Watch is a fact-finding organization and they go out and investigate things and write about them and that they have a not-for-profit model. The difference is that they do advocate. They will go and say, you know, meet with an official and say, this is what you need to do. And they also do it from the lens of a human rights view of the world. So we do the first part of that value chain and we focus on the first part, which is the fact-finding and getting the story out. And we don't take a firm position that, you know, a politician has to respond in a given way. We leave that up to the democratic system to determine. Sometimes we'll highlight, you know, solutions that have worked in other places. For example, when we had a series of incidents on the subway, people, someone was pushed off the platform and other, we saw that the data showed that more people were actually falling in front of trains and being injured. We went and looked at what would happen if you built uh, barrier doors on the subway so that people couldn't access the tracks from the platform. And we went and looked at other systems around the country and, and raised those solutions up. But again, we don't specifically advocate for an outcome. We just do the fact finding. Gotcha. Right. So you're informing New Yorkers so that we can make the decision of whether we want to you know, advocate one way or another on a different issue. Exactly right. So you've mentioned housing. What are some of the kind of big buckets of issues that the city covers? Yeah, housing is, of course, a critical one, and we, and we do work substantially on that. And not just public housing, affordable housing, housing prices and rents. Everyone is concerned with those issues in New York right now. We have a dedicated climate reporter who covers the effects of climate change on New York and on ordinary New Yorkers. So we've done deep dives into uh, coastal resilience. Why are we building massive new apartment blocks in Coney Island when it's going to be underwater in 30 years? Is it because we desperately need the housing now? Or should we be thinking about uh, actually retreating from those areas? And we've looked at things like flooding and the effects of extreme heat that come with climate change in an urban setting, which is, by the way, where most people are going to experience climate change in the coming years. Of course, we look at criminal justice, uh, not just in the jail system at Rikers, but also policing. We cover the New York City economy. We have a really useful tool that enables you to track how many people have come back to the office, what action is going on in the subway. We scrape real-time data off of the subway turnstiles so you can track return to work and economic activity that way. We call that tool, How's New York City Doing? Of course, we cover politics. We produced an extensive body of reporting around this election, but we do it in a slightly different way. We focus much less on who's winning and who's losing and what do the politicians say and more on New York City voters and what they need and what they think, both in our data reporting and in our more narrative coverage. So for the election coverage, because we do have an election coming up next year, all of New York City Council is up due to redistricting. If readers are looking to learn about the candidates, is that something that they should come to the city for? Or are you guys more covering how readers are responding to what candidates are saying in their own platforms? We try to do both of those things, but we don't do what some people call horse race coverage, which is just kind of this politician said, that politician said, this is what the polls say. So we, for example, for the last mayoral election, we created a digital voter's guide. We built a database of all the policy statements made by all the candidates. And then we used that to create a quiz where you could go and say what your view is on policing, on infrastructure, on housing, on schools. And we would match your answers with the policy positions of the candidates. And it spat you out a ranked choice list of candidates whose policy positions match most closely with yours. 
That is so cool. You know, it's interesting because you're talking a lot about, I mean, first of all, okay, so many things coming to mind. You're talking about how much data and technology you're using from the, you know, how the city is doing reports where you're data scraping. And now this, I think that's something that the average voter struggles with all the time, right? You're trying to read all the mail that's coming in from these different candidates and you're trying to read what you can in the newspaper, but it's really trying to match yourself. So that's a really, really cool idea. But I guess I'm wondering, what is your like tech data space look like? Who's doing that? Because that's just so cool. So from the beginning, we've really tried to combine that traditional insight and knowledge that I referred to of people who know the city and know the issues very deeply with a data and news applications team. And we have a wonderful, small but mighty team of data journalists and news application engineers who work together with our other journalists and editors to create journalism-driven data tools. So we built probably the most granular COVID tracker out there. You could go right down into zip code level and see what was happening in your neighborhood and make decisions about your personal risk based on what was actually happening right around you rather than at an aggregate level. We have built a very detailed mapping tool that's going to be very useful in the next election where you can go and enter your address and it'll show you what all of your electoral boundaries are and how they've changed. If your representative has changed, who they're going to be. And then we can use that to link through to additional data about their policies and their platform, and the other candidates, and so on. We also look at other kinds of data, climate data, housing data. And essentially, the way it works is that you have someone who is a journalist who can do math. It's a rare and very valuable species. Yes, um, we have to love all the math people out there because <laughs> I'm also in the I don't touch numbers camp. <laughs> right. So, so journalists who, who can do math, who are good at pivot tables, who understand statistics and don't draw the wrong inferences, working together with an engineer who can build these tools and an editor who knows the issues and knows the stories enables us to build these kinds of news applications. And it's an area of our work that's really growing. Um, we've just hired a wonderful new chief product officer who's a real national and global leader in this space. And we're sharing what we build with other outlets across the country. For example, that tool for identifying a mayoral candidate who might match your policies has now been used in Los Angeles by KPCC, the public radio station there. And we're currently working with a group in Philadelphia who will, who will implement it there. That's really cool. So you're sharing your, your learnings and what you're implementing here in New York. That's really great. New York is a phenomenal laboratory for developing new journalism approaches and new ways of covering local news because it's big, it's complex, it's diverse. We have a lot of issues. And as an organization, we're beginning to have the scale where we can be a test bed for some of these ideas and then pass them on to others. So I know that I was kind of on your website and I saw that there's a lot of information about Civic Engagement 101, like how to join a community board. Can you talk a little bit about that side of your coverage as well? It's kind of less maybe news-y, right? It seems like it's a, a different focus. That's right. So along with news, one of the things we want to do is make living in New York City easier. And among the things that we think it's critical to help people with is civic engagement and being full participants in their democracy. And certainly, you know, I mentioned that we don't advocate specifically on issues, but we're very comfortable in saying we think there should be higher voter turnout. There should be more opportunities for citizens to participate in their democracy in whatever way works for them. So we try to do journalism and also build tools that help with that. 
And it could be as simple as something like this. We Community boards are a very critical decision-making and decision-influencing set of structures in the city. And they're often dominated, frankly, by the same few folks who've been going to them for many, many years. So what if you want to get involved in your neighborhood and have a voice on what's going on on your streets? You know, what's going on with business licensing? What's going on with development? You need to join a community board. If you've never done that before, it could be a bit confusing and intimidating. So we've just produced a very simple, plain language guide to how you can join your community board at a time when many of them were, were adding new members. It sounds kind of, you know, a bit dry, but we were amazed to see that when we published that story, uh, it got widely circulated and people came back to us the following month saying, hey, I was able to join my community board only because of your story. In fact, I probably wouldn't even have thought of it. That's amazing. Your story. Yep. I mean, that's the the drumbeat of this podcast and Orange You Going as well, which is, you know, our civic engagement arm of just trying to get people more involved. We need more voices. We need more activity. And uh, we're always encouraging people to just try to get civically engaged for one hour a month, right? Just go out into your community in some way. And a shout out, you can join the OG squad so that you don't have to do it alone. We do it in a group. So this has been uh, really interesting. I feel like I could talk to you about this for a while. It really, this need for information, for factual independent news is, I think, more important than ever. And I think because there's been, it's kind of receded at the local level in particular, people are now reinvigorated and finding, you know, rediscovering why it's so important. And I think people are really noticing that it's gone. So we're very, very happy, you know, as a reader, I am so, so happy to have you. So can you share a little bit about how listeners can support your work and get involved with the city? Thanks for that. I think this community is exactly the kind of people who are going to find our work engaging and interesting if they don't already know it. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you all. The first thing to do is head over to our website, which is at thecity.nyc. Pretty easy to remember. And what you can do there is a couple of things. One, I would really recommend signing up for our daily newsletter, which is a very breezy, easy to read, sometimes even slightly fun, even when we're handling tough topics. Update on the stories we're doing, the weather, uh, and a little bit on what's going on in New York. And we're, we're growing and building out that newsletter. You can find the newsletter tab in the navigation bar and go sign up for the Daily Scoop, which will let you know what's going on in our world. And you know, if you like what you see, I would really encourage folks to become members of the city. You can do that by making a donation of literally any size. Just click the big button on the top left of the website that says donate. It'll take you to a page where you can do that. You're a member either way. Uh, We don't spam you. You do get a little bit of interesting communication, invitations to events, that kind of thing. And you can stay abreast of our work and really help to ensure that what we do is sustainable, that it continues and that it's freely available to everybody. That's great. So everyone, we will make sure that the links are readily available in the show notes, but be sure to visit and to support the city so we can continue reading all of their amazing work. Nick, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you to your team for, you know, pounding the pavement every day and finding these stories for us so that we know what is happening in our city and that we can uh, respond to it and get involved. Thanks so much. Wonderful to share all this with your community. We're doing such important, valuable work too. Are you hosting a social impact event? Post it for free on orangeyougoing.com to reach the most engaged New Yorkers. When you post with us, we promote it to our email list of nearly 10,000 subscribers across social media and on orangeyougoing.com. Let's engage New Yorkers together.